Hi, I'm Xavier McFarlane, and welcome to the Catholic City Podcast from the Mary Foundation. Today's episode features the well-known evangelist and priest, Father Larry Richards. He shares the truth, that the most important thing in life is to strive for heaven, where we will live in eternity with God, to know, love, and serve Jesus. But how exactly do we do that? Father Larry explains. But first, if you ever considered becoming a Catholic or are a Catholic seeking to deepen your relationship with Christ, please visit us at catholiccity.com to order our Catholic scapulars, books, booklets, relic prayer medals, and best-selling novels by Bud McFarlane. Sign up for Bud's twice-a-month Catholic City email message, where he's been sharing profound insights, sage advice, and crazy stories for over 25 years. We are also the world's largest distributor of the Purple Scapular, given by Mary to the approved French mystic Marie-Julie Jehenny in the late 1800s. You can learn more at our website, catholiccity.com, which is the online home of the Mary Foundation. Since the dawn of the internet, we've been a world leader in delivering proven, free, or low-cost tools for evangelization right to your door. And now, let's begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, truly present before us in the most blessed sacrament, we beg you, Lord Jesus, to come into our hearts and take control of our lives. Help us, Lord Jesus, to love you above all things created. Jesus, we surrender our hearts and our lives to you. We beg you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, that we may know you, that we may love you, and that we may serve you all the days of our life. Jesus, transform us and help us to know you. We beg all this, Lord Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, let's begin with the meaning of life, huh? We got to go and say, what is life about? Why was I created? You know, and you sit there and you talk with a bunch of kids and me dealing with kids the way I've dealt with throughout these years. You know, sometimes they are places on a Friday or Saturday night, nobody here I know. But they'll sit there and go, hey man, what's the meaning of life? And they might have a few in them. No, not teenagers that we know. But maybe a few. Or they might go and go, you know, <coughs> hey man, what's the meaning? And then some people say, I think life stinks. And then someone else says, I don't know, I just want to be happy. And then a few other ones say, I just want to have some money and get a wife or get a husband and get some kids and, you know, just try to make it through. Well, the Catholic Church has always taught the meaning of life. This is something free. This is something true. Who made me according to the Baltimore Catechism and now the Universal Catechism? The answer to that question is God. Why did God make me? This, of course, is the meaning of life. God made me to know him, to love him, and serve him in this world so I can be happy with him forever in the next. The meaning of life. And so if that's the meaning of life, then everything we do in life should be trying to fulfill those three things, to know God, to love God, and to serve God, so I can be happy with him forever. Huh? And so I got to sit there and think, first of all, I got to think, is that where I put most of my time and energy into? To live for eternity. You know, again, our time on earth, even if we live to be a hundred, is nothing. It's a little, little nothingness. But eternity, again, to think about what eternity is, Eternity is a man takes picks up a grain of sand and it takes him 10,000 years to walk one foot. And then it takes another 10,000 years to walk another foot. So to make two steps, 
It takes him 20,000 years. And this man picks up one grain of sand and slowly, 10,000 years of steps, slowly starts walking up to the top of Mount Everest. It takes him millions of years, of course, to get to the top of Mount Everest. He drops that grain of sand down and he turns around and slowly, 10,000 years of step, slowly starts walking back down. Picks up another grain of sand and slowly, slowly, 10,000 years of step, starts walking back. Well, and this man has done every piece of grain of sand from every beach, from the bottom of every lake, from the bottom of every ocean, from every desert in the world, and slowly 10,000 years a step, dropped that at the top of Mount Everest. Eternity, he's done it all. Eternity is just beginning. And yet what we do with this little time on earth that we have determines our eternity. So the most important thing that you and I do is enter into this relationship with Christ, period. It's all about Jesus. And the most important thing then must be in my life is to know him, to love him and serve him in this world so that I can live forever. And so let's really start to talk about knowing God. What does it mean to know Jesus Christ? You know, again, when I do a retreat, I'll go up to the kids, especially if it's a high school retreat, and I'll say, I submit to you people, Jesus Christ isn't God. Prove to me that he is. And then they'll start, and I'll say, okay, why? And the kid will sit there and say, because the Bible says so. They go, ooh, the Bible says so. Muslims have a Bible that doesn't say Jesus Christ is God. Now, does it? Oh. And then I'll go to someone else. I'll say, how about you? And he'll say, he performed miracles. And I go, ooh. Benny Hinn performs miracles. He goes like this. He makes his hand wave over a crowd. Everybody falls down. Boom, 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 boom. Does that make him God? No. Oh. And then he'll sit there and he'll do all this kind of stuff. And he'll give me all these answers. And I'll blow it out of the water. Then someone will sit there and say, he died for us, Father. I go, ooh, he died for you. Wow. Is that all I have to do is die for you? Will that make me God? Okay, I'll die for you. i got to die anyway. Why not die for you if I get to be God out of it? And they'll go, oh. And then they'll sit there and someone will usually raise their hand and I'll say, yes, son or daughter. And they'll go, he rose from the dead. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, okay, he rose from the dead. How do you know he rose from the dead? Uh, the Bible says so. Boom. And so everything they do, I blow out of the water. Ain't that a miserable thing to do to somebody? But it can't be someone else's faith. You know, I learned from somebody else. Now I say, ask me. Okay, and the kid will raise his hand and say, uh, Father, do you believe Jesus Christ is God? I'll say, yeah. Why? Because I know him. I have an experience of him. I spend at least an hour a day by his grace every day with him. And I have since I've been 17. I know Jesus. And what has to happen is each of us must come to that reality of knowing Christ. Two things must happen, of course. The objective reality, Christ proves he's God by raising from the dead. He rose, he's alive, he's not dead. But so what? I need to come to an experience of Christ. The objective reality and the subjective reality of my life must become one. That is what it is to know God, to fulfill that first thing. You and I were created to know God. So the first thing i got to ask you is do you know him? Know him. You can know about him, but never know Jesus. Just like you can read about Father Larry, know a lot about Father Larry, read everything you can get on Father Larry, but without ever coming to meet me, you don't really know me. So it is with Jesus. We can know a lot about Jesus Christ, 
But the purpose of life is to know him, to be in relationship with him. And I'll never forget when that became real in my life. When I was a young boy at 17 years old, I was sitting in an English class, and I realized, reading this play, Our Town, in the public high school, that I was going to die someday. And I thought, what's the purpose? I didn't believe in anything. I think, I believed, well, I didn't exist 100 years ago, and 100 years from now, I won't exist anymore. And I remember it scared the heck out of me. It scared me so bad. And I started thinking, i got to start finding and searching and finding this Christ. And so every day, I would go to the church of the Epiphany in downtown Pittsburgh, and I would just kneel there and I'd say, God, you exist, don't you exist? Do you care, don't you care? And one day, I knew Jesus Christ was alive and he loved me. And I looked at him and I said, Jesus, what do you want? Anything you want, I will do. It was to be a priest. And at 17, I entered the seminary, knowing, but this is all, and I never doubted once that I was called to be a priest in that moment because I knew that he was alive. But again, knowing he was alive still wasn't enough because I knew he existed, but I didn't know he loved me. And so what has to happen before I can get into that next thing, why did God make me, he called me to know him, but then I got to love him. And how am I going to do that? You know, how? what's the purpose of life? How do I get to really love God? Well, first, after you know him and you spend time with him, and the only way to get to know God, let me tell you right now, is in prayer. You and I got to spend quality time every day in prayer. Again, St. Francis de Sales said this, everybody needs a half hour of prayer every day, except when you're busy. Then you need an hour. It's that simple. God must become the priority of my life. But I give God my number one time. He gets my time in prayer. We're going to come back to that in a bit. The second thing you and I got to know is that I got to come to know him and I got to come to know his love. And again, to come back to only the way I can talk about now is my own reflection. That I had entered seminary at 17 and every day I would spend hours in prayer. In sophomore year of college, I would spend four hours a day before the Blessed Sacrament. And I would go and go before Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And then at once a month, I would spend a 24-hour period in prayer, in silence. And once as I was spending this 24-hour period in prayer, in silence, you know, you have to spend four or five periods of spending one hour with the Word of God. My spirit director come walking into me, and she says to me one day, Larry, what do you need from God? I said, oh, nothing, Joan. Thank you very much. I'm quite happy. And she looked at me again. She says, Larry, what do you need from God? And I said, well, nothing, Joan. I'm happy. Thank you very much. And she said, Larry, what do you need from God? And I was going to beat her, but she was a man. I couldn't do that. And I said, I guess what I need, Joan, is no one here is going to believe this, but my nickname in seminary was Proud, Arrogant, and Aggressive Richards. Huh. And I'm so gentle, kind, and loving. I never got that. And I says, she says, well, I want you to let God. I said, I guess what I need more than anything is I need to be more gentle. Huh? And she says, good. I want you to spend one hour with Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 5. I said, oh, Joan, I know that so well. And she said, shut up, Richards, and let God say that to you. Because there's one line in there, it says, you are precious in my eyes. You are honored, and I love you. And so, here I am with God, and I'm sitting there on the floor reading this verse, 
and I am spending one minute, two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 55 minutes I'm now spending in this verse. And as I'm spending this time in this verse, it starts getting from my hard head to my harder heart. And this line, you are precious in my eyes, you're honored, I love you, start really trying to get inside to me. And I couldn't handle it. I start keeping, I kept looking at God and saying, no, God, you can't love a jerk like me. That's what my spirit's direct. Every time I go to confession, at the end of confession, he says, isn't it great God loves a jerk like you, Richards? Yes, it's great God loves a jerk like me. And it's true. And so here I am telling God of all the reasons why I shouldn't love a jerk like me. And then all of a sudden in my prayer, I had an image of my grandmother. And my grandmother was the lady of my life, huh? She was a little crazy, the lady of my life. It runs in the family, this craziness. Anyway, in this time of me with me and my grandmother, you know how grandmothers can be, huh? They like to give you money, right? And so here I am begging uh, with my grandmother one day, and she's begging to give me some money. And you have to play that game with grandmas, don't you? And so my grandmother's giving me money, and she says, you need money, Larry? And I said, oh, no, Graham. I'm really saying, yeah, Graham, give me the money, give me the money. But no, no, I got to do this. I didn't want my grandmother, my mom or my dad to hit me. So I says, oh, no, Graham, I'm playing this game. I don't need your money. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, all of a sudden, my grandmother started to cry. There's nothing worse in the world than grandma tears, is there? And I said, Grandma, you're crying for me. And she says to me, Larry, you hurt me. and You don't allow me to give you things. I said, fine, give me the money. Fine, come on, huh? You know, and so in the midst of that, and then I said, fine, well, this is the image I had that night in prayer. Here I am in prayer, and there's God, and God is crying. And I said, God, what are you crying for? And he says, Larry, you hurt me, and you don't allow me to love you. And then I call it the beginning of my spiritual life, and that's after lots of years of praying. I heard in my prayer, more than I've ever heard anything else in my life, I heard the God of the universe look at me and say, Larry, in Jesus, you are my son. And as soon as I said, yes, Father, I am your son in Jesus, you do realize that's good theology, theology of the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. When you and I were baptized, we were adopted by God. That's why we can call God Abba, Father. And he looks at us and says, my son or my daughter. And when I came to know who I was in Christ and baptism, my life changed. And I remember being so ecstatic because when I heard you are my son, I am weeping like a baby on the floor because I came to know Christ. I also came to know his father as my father in Jesus. And I said, God, even speak to me tonight in my dreams. And don't you ever say that because that night I had a dream. And this will know how weird Father Larry is because in that dream, I was home in Pittsburgh. I wasn't ordained yet. I was still in seminary. And in my dream in Pittsburgh, everybody was possessed. I mean, Linda Blair possessed. Head spinning all the way around, green throw up. You got it. And in the midst of all this, what do I start doing? Proud, arrogant, and aggressive Richards comes on the scene. And what do I start doing? Performing an exorcism. Yeah, I know it's weird. It's a dream. What do you want? And anyway, in this dream, I go and I say, in Jesus' name, leave that person. And the devil laughed. And I said, oh, excuse me. I don't think you heard me. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, lead that person. The devil kept laughing at me, and I'll never forget it, because in my dream, he started to possess me. I remember looking down, I look in his, his hands coming out of my hand. I'm saying, you can't do this to me. And then this arm goes this way, this arm goes this way. I'm clutching myself, or the devil's clutching me, and my knees are going up to my chest, and I start levitating on the ceiling. 
I know it's weird. Do do. And I'm saying, you can't do this to me in Jesus' name. And I'm screaming and yelling, nothing. And all of a sudden, I heard in my, uh, my dream the same thing I heard in my prayer. Larry, he can't do this to you. In Jesus, you are my son. And as soon as I said, yes, Father, I am your son, the devil screamed and he left me. And then all I did is I went around to my friends and relatives who were possessed and I just touched them and said, you are God's daughter, you are God's son. And the devil screamed and he left them. Then all of a sudden I woke up and I was soaking wet. That dream was so real. It changed my life. My spiritual director came in the next day and she says, well, Larry, did God say anything to you last night? And I said, oh, Joe. And I told her the story. And she says, your whole purpose in life, Larry, will be telling people they are sons and daughters of God. So the first thing you and I got to come to know in prayer is who we are. In Jesus Christ and because of Jesus Christ, we have the spirit of God within us that lets us cry out, Abba, Father. And in the midst of that, we come to know how loved we are. And that's the most important thing, to know that you're loved. You know, once I went to confession in Rome, and after I was done my confession, he says, what's your greatest sin, this guy in the Vatican? And I says, Father, I think what my spirit director tells me is I just don't realize how much God loves me. And he says, you have a very holy spiritual director, because that's true. One of the saints said years ago, if only we knew how much we were loved, we would all be saints. If only if we knew how much we were loved, we would all be saints. And so the whole purpose of our life then must be people who come to know God and then know we're loved by God. And this love and knowing we're loved by God should transform us. So the first thing we got again, again, is we've got to make sure we spend time in silence before God every day, allowing the God of the universe to embrace us, knowing me, loving me. Because what I'm doing now is after I come to know him, then I respond in love. Now, how do I come to respond in love to Christ? If Christ is my Lord, and I do that, Jesus Christ only gave us one commandment. And what's the only commandment Jesus Christ ever gave us? You shall love one another as I have loved you. The only commandment of Jesus Christ is that we love one another as he has loved us, period. And then Jesus says, all people will know you're my disciples because you love each other, period. It's that simple. Nothing else. I don't care if you say 100,000 rosaries a day. If you're not loving of other people, guess what? You don't know God. It's that simple. We must, our prayer must become real in our life. And the way it becomes real in our life is, am I a loving person? And the best way to do that is ask your husband or your wife. Say, am I a loving person? I'll be honest. Ask your kids. Am I a loving person? Do I put other people before me? Am I loving others the way Jesus loved me? How did Jesus love us? He died for us. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor who died in one of the concentration camps. And one of the things he used to say is when Jesus bids someone to come and be his disciple, he bids him to come and to die. When Jesus bids someone to be his disciple, he bids him to come and to die, to give up your life. And so what happens then is the way I respond to God and the way I love God is he says, if you love me, love others. It's that simple. 
Everyone will know you're my disciple because you love each other. In fact, again, Jesus, through his apostle John, in one of the letters says, if you say you love God who you cannot see, and you hate somebody who you can see, you're a liar. It's that simple. So, if Christ is going to be in charge of my life, if I'm really going to be a Catholic, I'm really going to be someone who follows him, the way I can prove that is if I am a loving person. Am I a person of love? And hear me, I say it a thousand times. If you're a person of love, then you've got to tell the people you love that you love them. It's that simple. You know, once I had, years ago, because it's on tape, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I once had a high school kid in my office. And this kid, we're talking about nothing. You know, we were getting ready to go see a movie. And halfway through it, as I'm working at my typewriter or my computer doing something, I turned around because he got quiet and I said, what's the matter? And this kid started to sob. I mean, sob. And I said, okay, relax. What's the matter? What's the matter? He said, father, I'd do anything if my dad just told me once that he loved me. I'd do anything if my dad just told me once that he loved me. And wasn't it interesting? His father was a daily communicator. But he couldn't tell his son that he loved him. How about you? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Really? Are you a person of prayer, first of all? Yes. Are you a person of love? Do you tell the people you love that you love them? It's the only way. You might sit there and say, Father, I don't have to tell people I love that I love them. Oh, yeah? Jesus said, Love one another as I have loved you. And if we're called to love one another as he has loved us, then the way that must happen is how did Jesus love us? In John chapter 15, verse 9, he said, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Jesus told the people he loved that he loved them. And so if we're going to love as he has commanded us, then we must tell the people we love that we love them. And again, it became clear to me years ago. Years ago, here I am, and I grew up in the city of Pittsburgh, as you might have heard. I already talked about my mother. And both of my parents were Pittsburgh police officers. My mother graduated highest ever from the Pittsburgh Police Academy. Anyway, in the midst of this and dealing with all these policemen, I got to know one in particular. He went and left his wife and he left his kids. And he, all, he went to Las Vegas because, of course, we all know everybody's going to be happy in Las Vegas, right? So he gets out to Las Vegas and became head of security of one of the largest, uh, one of the largest casinos out there. But this man, who was an alcoholic because of all the garbage he had seen in life, continued to drink. And out in Las Vegas, he got a new wife, he got a new kids, but he still kept trying to drink to try to fill the emptiness inside. So after a few years in Las Vegas, he wasn't real happy there, so he went to Houston, Texas, because we know that in Houston everybody's going to be happy. And he got in a little suburb of Houston called Katy. He was in a very large hospital out there. But the man started drinking. He was head of security of this hospital. But he kept drinking and drinking. At the age of 43, this man had drunk so much that he was dying of cirrhosis of the liver. I was a senior in college at the time. And his wife, who I knew, of course, called me on a telephone and says, Larry, he's dying. Do you think you could be out here and be with him, please? And I said, well, of course, sure. And so I got in a plane and I went out to Houston, Texas. Well, I was not prepared for what I saw. When I walked in this room, here was this man, 43 years of age, who had pure gray hair. He had no teeth. He was a human skeleton. He couldn't talk because he was on a respirator. 
And when I come walking into this room and he was laying there, I said, you look like heck. <laughs> Trying to kid with him as best my humor is. He shook his head up and down, but he couldn't talk to me. He had a right to me and he wrote to me on a little blackboard. And I spent about a week with this man talking to him and praying with him. Anyway, it was time for me to go back to school. And so I'll never forget the last day I was with this guy. Here he is laying in his bed. And as he was laying in his bed, I'm going and talking to him. And I says, after a while, I said, listen, okay, I got to leave. I got to go back to school. But listen, I'm going to be graduated from college in May. And it would be great if you could be there. And he shook his head up and down. We both, both knew that was never going to happen. He was going to die. And I said, okay, listen, I'll pray for you, huh? Great thing for priests and seminarians to say to people, make them feel good. I'll pray for you. And I thought, okay, and I would start to leave the room. Well, as I went to leave the ICU room, I thought, you know, I want to get one last look at this man because I knew it would be the last time I saw him. And so I ran around, I turned around, and here's this man desperately trying to call me back. But he couldn't say anything because of the respirator. But his arms are flogging, trying to call me back. And I ran over to the other side of the bed, and I said, what's the matter? What can I do for you? And this man, with what strength he had left, took me, grabbed me, and pulled me so close to himself and held me so tight next to him. And I said, yeah, I love you too, Dad. And a little later, my dad died. The only time I ever told my dad that I loved him was on his deathbed. Why? He wasn't the type of dad I expected. He was an alcoholic. And I went through my whole life. Here I am, I'm going to be a priest, right? A priest of love to fulfill the commandment of God. But instead of loving my dad, I went through my whole life judging my dad. Isn't that interesting? Jesus Christ only gave us one commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he forbid us. He forbid us to do something else. He forbid us to judge. And yet some people who say, Jesus is my Lord. I love him. Oh, I spent all this time with him. We go through our whole life judging everybody and not loving people. And we completely screw up what Jesus Christ taught us. My dad didn't need my judgment. He needed my love. Jesus Christ commanded me to love him, not judge him. And so what we got to be doing, if I'm going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, if I'm going to love God, the only way I can prove that I love God is to love others, to truly love them. And if I love others, i got to tell them that I love them because the deepest need in people's heart is to be loved. And so, after my father died, I had a priest friend, and he had mass for us and my dad. My father wasn't Catholic. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, you know what? When you're laying in your deathbed, it's not going to matter how much money you made or how popular you were or how much people thought you were great. The only thing that's going to really matter to you when you're laying in your deathbed is your relationships, how you loved others and how they loved you. First of all, how you loved God then how you love others. You know what? That's true. And if that's true, if the only thing that's going to matter when everything is said and done is how much we love people and they loved us, is our relationships, then all that must be put our number one priority in life. I first of all work at my priority with God. I spend time with him every day. And then my second priority is I love others. I start with my family. And that means I got to really start with my family. You know, it's again interesting. I was listening to a uh, uh 
Christian station one day and it was in the area and there was another pastor and he was talking about one of his parishioners and she came in and she was all upset. And the reason she was upset is because every night she prayed, her and her husband prayed with their kids before they went to bed. And one night she's sitting there kneeling next to the bed, praying with her daughter. And her daughter's saying, and God bless mommy and God bless daddy and God bless Snoopy and all this stuff. And then her daughter said, and God, please let mommy be as nice as home as she is to people at church. And the mother's heart died. But that's sometimes the way we are. Everybody at church think we're great. People at work think we're wonderful. And yet our families, we treat like garbage. And then I go up to communion. Here I am. Look how holy I am. And yet my family, I'm treating like garbage. Do I affirm my children? Do I affirm my husband? Do I affirm my wife? Do I build them up? If not, please don't say Jesus is Lord of your life because it's wrong. It's garbage. Be real. If Jesus is in charge of your life, you can tell because you're more loving and that begins at home. And if you're loving at home, you tell the people you love that you love them. You should never let your kids go to bed once without telling those kids you love them every day. You should never let your husband or wife go to bed without telling them you love them every day. Well, that's not my way. Well, learn to change. It's time. Why did God make me? God made me to know him, to love him. If I'm going to love him, that means I'm going to love others also. Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he said, this is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus gave up his life for others, and he told the people he loved loved them. So that must be the same for us. The third thing that we got to look at is what does it mean to serve God? Now, again, most people, when it comes to prayer or different things, they try to make God jump through their hoops, huh? And they sit there and think, if I could, you know, when I pray, God's going to do what I want. He's going to bless me. But see, that's not what it's about. We are called to be slaves to Jesus Christ. He doesn't serve me. I need to serve him. What's the meaning of life? To know God, to love God, and to serve him. But see, sometimes we get that so screwed up. What does it mean to serve God? That means he is in charge of every part of my life. You know, to join my parish at Bread of Life, the first thing people got to do is go through three classes. The first class is what's it mean for Jesus to be Lord? What's it mean for Christ to be in charge of your life? And I'm always the one that teaches that class. Because what people got to know, that if you're going to say Jesus is Lord, then you must live it. Because again, if we go to the Word of God, and the Word of God is so clear, He says to me, and He says to you, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he said, none of those who cry out, Lord, Lord, who enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. So we just can't say, Lord, Lord. The devil cries out, Lord, huh? And then he trembles. We got to live it. That means I got to serve God. When I say thy will be done to God, that means, God, it doesn't matter what I want. The only thing that matters is what you want. And so that means that he got to be Lord of every part of my life or he's Lord of nothing of my life. And you begin with your time. To serve God, the first thing you got to do is make God a priority with your time. Like again, if I ask you, did you eat yesterday? Oh, yes, Father. Oh, did you give time to God in prayer? Oh, no, Father. That means you love food more than you love God. 
Did you pray yesterday? Oh, no, Father. Oh, did you watch TV yesterday? Oh, yes, Father. That means you love TV more than you love God. Is God what your top priority in your time? You can never fit God into your life. You must build your life around God. Is God the most important thing in your life? And can you prove that to me by the time you give to God? Is God the Lord of your time? You don't have to give him hours a day, but you do got to make sure he's your top priority in your time. And if you got to sit there and write, if you have a, if you're a very busy person and you have to write an appointment in your appointment book for God, and you're going to give him that time, then do it. You got to be Lord of your time. The second thing you got to be Lord of is your family. That means that, you know, especially if you're a father, a father and mother, it's your job to get your kids to heaven. That's what it is. And a spouse to get each other to heaven. So that means, is he Lord of your family? Are you people who pray together as a family? You know, sometimes we talk about sports in our family. We talk about all this stuff. But we don't pray together as a family. And so our time is not given to God. He's not Lord of my family. Oh, I take everybody to church once a week. Well, that's not enough. you got to see that you're a person of prayer in the home. The homes are the little churches. The homes are the places that we've got to pray together. Now, how you do that, it's up to you. Some people say a rosary together. Some people say the divine mercy together. Some people read the Bible together. Some people listen to tapes together. It doesn't matter. Some people really give a thank you time during dinner. When they have dinner together as a family, that's their time of prayer. But see, the number one goal and goal in all our family, if he's Lord of our family, means that each one of your kids, you're responsible to get them to heaven. What are you doing to fulfill that deepest need for them to make it to heaven someday? Is that your goal in life? To get your spouse and your children to heaven? That's got to be, he got to be Lord of your family. Another thing he got to be Lord of is your money. You know, again, oh dear, here we go. Money. How much of your money belongs to God? 100%. All of it. It's all God's. You don't get any. It's all God's. He gives you the ability to think, the ability to work, the ability to wake up this morning, the ability to see everything. All your money belongs to God. Now, now that it all belongs to God, he looks at you and me and he says, come on, it's all mine, but let's make a deal. Let's see. You can keep 90%. Give me 10. You know, some people think they're great Catholics. They throw a $5 bill on Sunday in Mass. Make $100,000 a year. But, ooh, I give a $5. Ooh, God says. If you do not give your 10% to God, you steal from God. It's that simple. You can sit there and say, Jesus is Lord all you want. But unless he's Lord of something small, and money is nothing. It's nothing. The love of money, and plain Paul says, is what? The root of all evil. And yet so many, so many people who call themselves Christians have a love of money. Well, I got to take care of my money. I got to take care of my own. No, no, no. It's all God's. He'll take care of you. He gives you 90% and he says, just give me 10 off the top. You can never outgive God in generosity ever. And you don't have to just give that to your church. You might sit there and say, Father, I come from a very rich church. Okay, well, don't give it to the church. Give it to the poor. 
consistently. Give it to the poor. Can you imagine when you and I stand before God someday and he sits there and says, oh, you were so blessed. Oh, yes, I was. Thank you so much, God, for blessing me. And he says, then why was it that 34,000 children every day died of starvation? Oh, they weren't mine. No, he says, they were mine. They were your brothers and sisters. They were my sons and daughters. You are more important than buying your third car and helping my children who are dying couldn't even eat. When we do not let God be Lord of my life in my money, something as stupid as money, then I can't play this fantasy game with I'm a great follower of Jesus Christ because you're not. He deserves the top 10% because it's all his. Every single penny you have in a bank, every single penny you make every week, it all belongs to God. And he says, now, with my 10%, I want you to take care of others and take care of your church. Simple. And yet people struggle with that. As a matter of fact, when I go around, this one little thing I talk about causes more controversy than anything else. It's not a controversy. It's a reality. God's asking you and demanding you give to him first. If he's Lord of your life, he's Lord, first of all. <laughs> Not first of all, but with all things, especially money. Okay, so 10% goes to God. and It can go to God through your church or through the poor. I don't care how you do it. It just belongs to God. Make sure he gets it. Now, please, you might sit there and think, oh, Father, I only make so much. God can never out be outgiven in generosity. Never. I promise you, I have never, ever, ever met one person who has tithed that has ever went without, ever. You know what the biggest scandal in the Catholic Church is? Bingo. You know why we have the scandal of bingo? Because our people don't give to God what belongs to him. So we got to go and serve the devil, if you will, to get bingo so we can keep our schools open because our people sometimes are too selfish to share with God, that all belongs to him. So is God Lord of your money? Oh, this only gets better, huh? The next thing you got to look at is your sexual life. Is God sex? Is God in charge of your sexual life? That means, is he in Lord in charge of your bedroom? Father, do we got it? Yes, because he's Lord of everything or he's Lord of nothing. So again, you got to sit there and think, is he in charge of my sexual life? Or do I say, okay, God, uh, we'll put you aside right now. I always tell my married couples when I do wedding preparation, make sure before you get intimate with each other, every time before you get intimate with each other, invite Jesus into that act and pray with each other. Oh, Father, don't you think that'll kill the mood? Not if you really know what it's about. God knows all about our sexuality. The very first thing ever out of his mouth was increase and multiply. The first commandment of God. So, but especially now in the Catholic Church, people would sit there and say, well, I'll decide what I'm going to do in my bedroom. So I don't believe in this artificial birth control nonsense of the Catholic Church. Oh, yeah, really? Yes, Father. Well, that means you're in charge of your sexual life. You say, hey, God, you can be in charge of every other part of my life. When it comes to me and how many children I'm going to have, I want to be in charge of that. Don't you tell me I will be God here. Hmm. Is he really in charge of every part of your life? Is he in charge of your sexual life? Father, you're killing me here. That's not the point. The point is I'm trying to get all of us to stop playing games with what's it mean, what's it mean to follow Jesus Christ. It means that every single part of my life belongs to Jesus. He is Lord 
He is in charge of every part of my life. You know, if you ever listen to the tape on confession, I talk a lot about Jesus being our Savior. But hear me, Jesus Christ cannot be your Savior unless he's your Lord, which means he is in charge of every part of your life. Now, I used to have a little uh, poster on my wall, and it said, sometimes I think I have fully surrendered. And then he asks me for something I'm not willing to give up. Sometimes I think I have fully surrendered. And then he asks me for something that I'm not willing to give up. What is it that you and I hold on to so tightly that we can't surrender it and give it to God? When you and I are baptized, or you and I surrender and accept what was given to us at baptism, when we finally surrender our lives totally to the Lord Christ, he comes and gives his life for us. Gladly. Remember, those are Catholics who remember clearly. Every Lent on Ash Wednesday, you hear. Remember, man, that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's all we are. It's dust. You can be dust forever. You can surrender your dust to the Lord Jesus. Let him take his life and give you his forever. That's your decision. He'll never force himself onto you. The day you were baptized, this happened for you, teaching your church. But you have to accept what was given to you at baptism. Because when I give you a gift, when does it become yours? The day I give it to you or the day you open it? You've got to open it. If you haven't been baptized, you've got to be. But you've got to give your life and surrender to Christ. I'm going to invite you to do that with me now. Close your eyes. Just say with me, and we'll start again. I, every day, the way I start my life, in Christ, as I get before my feet at the floor, my knees at the floor, and I say, Jesus, I love you, and I give you my life. And I commit my life to God every day. In the Catholic Church, we've done that for many years with a daily offering. I give you all that I am and offer all of my life to God. And so I want to invite you to do that with me now. And just repeat after me, those who want, on the tape and those who are. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for my sins. I turn away from my sins. And I ask you to forgive me. Come into my heart. Take control of my life. Be my Lord and God and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I love you, Lord Jesus. And I give you my life forever. Amen. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ will take this gift of your life to Him, and He gives you a brand new life. That's what we believe, and that's what we trust in. And what we're called to do is truly be disciples of Jesus Christ, fully, completely, 100%. Now, What's it mean to be this disciple? You know, we talked about knowing God, me in prayer, and we get to know him in prayer and relationship, loving God, spending time with him, but then also loving others, serving God by making sure he's Lord of every part of my life. But serving God, what it means more than anything is to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, what's it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Hmm. I like to say three things make us disciples of Jesus Christ. The first thing of every disciple must do is sit at the feet of the master. 
The second thing we must do to be a true disciple is develop the attitude of the master. And the third thing that you and I must do to be a true follower or disciple of Jesus Christ is become the master. First thing, we need to sit at the feet of the master. What does that mean? Well, everybody here is, and everybody we have on this tape is a disciple of something. Some people were disciples of football teams, huh? You can tell that, but you go into their house, you wear their jackets, and it says, you know, Browns, but we all know that God's a Steelers fan, or all these different type things. You can tell everywhere you are, no matter where you are, what they're a disciple of. You know, kids, you walk into their rooms, and they're disciples of all these Nazi uh, rock bands. You can tell they're disciples. Some people are disciples of TV. That's where they find out how then must I live. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ means I got to sit at the feet of the master. And the way I sit at the feet of the master is I spend time in his word, the word of God, and I know what the church teaches through the catechism and through the encyclicals because the church is the body of Christ. And so I got to sit at the feet of the master, Jesus Christ. And so the first thing you and I got to do is do I have a Bible, a real Bible, a Bible that I use every day. You know, like I tell people, no Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. That you and I need to be spending true time with the Word of God every day. It's not TV that shows me how to live. It's the Word of God that should teach me how to live. If I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, then it's Him teaching me. And the way He teaches me, like I said, is through His Word. So the first thing I'd encourage you is you must get your own Bible. And make sure it's a Catholic Bible because we have more books than the Protestant Bible. Why? Because we follow Septuagint. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. The Catholic Church follows what Jesus Christ did. Later, what the Jewish people did and the Protestants went after is they follow what happened after 70 AD because a lot of those things did not talk about resurrection. But the fall of the, we, the Old Testament, we have seven more books than they did. You know, and they're wonderful books. So make sure you get a Catholic Bible and make sure you spend time reading it every day. You know, again, one of our saints, St. Jerome says, ignorance of the Bible is ignorance of Christ. That means if you don't know the Bible, you don't know Jesus Christ. So spend time with his word every day. Sit at the feet of the master. The next thing we must do is develop the attitude of a master to serve Christ. And what does that mean? Well, again, we need to go to Philippians chapter 2. And I love Philippians chapter 2 uh, because here he tells us, this is what Paul says. Now listen to him. Chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 2. Make my joy complete by your unanimity, possessing that one love united in spirit and ideals. Never act out of rivalry or conceit, Rather, let all parties think humbly of others as superior to themselves. Each of you looking to others' interests rather than your own. Whoa. To develop the attitude of Jesus Christ means that I think of others as superior to myself, putting their needs in front of my own. You know, again, a very basic way to do that, to remind yourself, is make a big sign and put it on your mirror. And this sign should say, I am third. Because God is first, others are second, I am last. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life for the ransom of the many. 
to develop the attitude of the master means I must be, have that attitude of Christ. Do I think of others as superior to me? And do I always put their needs in front of myself? You know, another way to say that is a life of joy. J, Jesus first, O, others second, Y, yourself last. That is a life of a disciple. You know, again, so I have to sit there and think, am I in this world to serve or be served? Am I in this world to give or to get? A disciple develops the attitude of the master. That means everything that I do, I actually say, what would Jesus do about this? You know, it's a famous thing everybody wants to do now. But i got to develop his attitude. What would Jesus do in this situation? And then go and do the same. So, the third thing that must happen in my life and in your life is that we got to become the master. You know, what that means is not that we become God, but that we die so much to ourselves that God lives inside of us. You know, one thing that everybody asks you and me every day is from John's Gospel. And when it's in John's Gospel here, it's a beautiful verse, which is uh, chapter 12, verse 20. Among those who had come up to worship in the feast were some Greeks. They approached Philip, in verse 21, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and put this request to him. Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Everyone who says that they're a follower of Christ, a Christian by definition, is another Christ. Why are we other Christ? Because in Galatians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, my favorite verse in the Bible, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. So the life I live now, it's not my own. Jesus Christ lives inside of me. I still live my human life, yes, but it's a life of faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what it's about. So what has to happen is I have to die so much and be crucified with Jesus so much that what happens is I no longer live my own life. Jesus Christ lives inside of me. So when people look at me, when people look at you, if they look in my eyes and see me, there's a problem. They need to look at me and look at you and see Jesus living inside of me. Because every night, like I said, that question they ask Philip, they ask us, sir or ma'am, oh, you say you're a follower of Jesus. I would like to see Jesus. Do they see Jesus when they look at you? Do they see Jesus when they look at me? So important that people see Jesus in our lives. You know, that we become so transformed that we become other Christ. And again, there's a wonderful story that illustrates that so great. It's a story about a man who was a prisoner of war. And they put him in a camp. Well, of course, they treated him not well but okay for a prisoner of war. But at the same time, there was a Japanese man who was captured, who was a traitor. And they put him in the same cell as the American. The American, they treated okay every day. The Japanese man, they tortured and they deprived him of food every day. And every day when they would throw him in this cell with the American, the American would get on his hands and knees and try his best to heal the Japanese man. He would take his food and instead of eating it himself, he gave it to the Japanese man every night. And this went on for weeks. But one day, they tortured the Japanese man so badly that they knew, that he knew when he was put in there, the American knew this Japanese man was going to die. And so the, Jap the American man thought, you know, I've shared everything else with this man, but I haven't shared with him the reality of Jesus. And so he knelt down next to him and he says, you know, 
You're probably going to die tonight. You don't have to be afraid. If you would just surrender your life to Jesus right now, when you die, he will come and take you home forever. You know what the Japanese man said to the American? He said, if Jesus Christ is anything like you, I can't wait to meet him. That's a disciple of Jesus Christ. Could people say that about us? Could people say, if Jesus Christ is anything like you, I can't wait to meet him? Is that what people would say? Is that what your husband would say? Is that what your wife would say? Is that what your kids would say? Is that what your co-workers would say? If Jesus Christ is anything like you, I can't wait to meet him. We need to be transformed into the person of Jesus Christ. We need to let him live so much in my life that he just takes total control. And I become another Christ. I become holy. I become a saint. And see, that's what the goal of all this is. Because when we said in the beginning, what is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to know God, to love God, and serve God. Why? I can live with him happily forever in heaven. And people who go to heaven are what we call saints. Is that your goal to be a saint? Is that your goal to be holy? You know, again, if I was going to ask you, give me your 10 top goals in life. Before I start talking about this, would even one of them to be a saint? To be holy. And yet, the word of God says, strive for that holiness without which we will not see God. It's not an option to be holy. In fact, Leon Blois said years ago in one of his books, there is only one tragedy. Not to be a saint. There is only one tragedy. Not to be a saint. Is that your goal and is that my goal to be a saint in life? It's not just for priests and nuns and monks to be holy. It's the call of everybody to be a saint, to be holy. And God calls each of us to be holy in the manner of life that we live. If you're a, a wife with five kids, a mother with five kids, that doesn't mean you spend five hours a day in prayer. That would be a sin for you to do. You will become holy by taking care of your children. And loving your children. You will become holy by loving your husband and pushing him towards heaven. If you're a father, you will become holy by loving your wife and by loving your children. Now, of course, prayer is part of that. But again, your goal in life must be to live forever with God in heaven, to be a saint. That that's your and my, my goal. I want to be a saint of Jesus Christ. And everything I do in life must be to be part of that. And I don't become a saint for me. You know, again, if you and I become saints just for us, then that's egotism. That's Phariseeism. That's not the point. The way you and I become saints is by wanting to serve God and give my life away to God with all that we are. You know, again, the best way to sum that up is what St. John Vianney said, the cure of ours. He said, this is the glorious duty of man, that we pray and that we love. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ, even though I've said many things in this tape, can be summed up in those two little things. I become a person of prayer, and I become a person of love. And if you and I can focus on those two things all the days of our lives, I need to pray and I need to love. 
I need to pray and I need to love. I got to take quality time with me as an individual and give it to God in prayer. In prayer, I got to listen to God because in prayer, I'm not just talking to God, I'm listening. I'm being still, as it says in Psalm 46, verse 11. Be still and know that I am God. I have quality time of prayer every day in my life. If I'm a member of a family or head of a family, I am praying with my family. I am taking them to church. I am a person who prays by reading the word of God. And I spend time in that word every day. And then I'm a person of love. I live my life for others. I live my life for my family. I give away my life. I'm not in this world to be served, but to serve. I live a life of joy. I live a life for I am third. I live a life of love. I'm not ashamed to tell the people I love that I love them. You and I are called to be saints, to be happy with God forever. And the way you and I will become saints is when we pray and when we love. You got it? You get it? Good. May each of you know his love today and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you. He who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you were inspired by this podcast, and we encourage you to share it on social media and warmly invite you to distribute our free Catholic scapulars, medals, books, and booklets to your family, friends, parish, and social groups. Visit us online at catholiccity.com for more information. The real work of the Mary Foundation is accomplished by people just like you. There are three ways to help. First, Please pray for everyone who hears, reads, or wears our materials. Second, share them with everyone you know, family, friends, fellow parishioners, and the people you work with. Only you can reach them. Finally, please help us financially. It seems impossible, but we don't do traditional fundraising here at the Mary Foundation. We rely on your generosity and God's providence. By the way, if you, your parish, or your Catholic group would like to distribute our materials by the dozens, hundreds, or even thousands, all we ask for is help covering our materials costs. So please visit us online for suggested donations. For our Canadian friends and those outside the United States, only online requests are accepted, so please refer to the special shipping rates listed on our website. Thanks for listening, and we're looking forward to working with you. May God bless you always. And now, here's a short preview of our Rosary and Divine Mercy Chaplet, the most popular rosary according in the history of the world. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. For an increase in the virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without permission is prohibited.